Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. Today is Friday, June 3rd, 2016. Many breweries down and, and many more to go. Um, I'd like to thank everybody, as always, for liking and, and sharing and subscribing and rating and doing all those things on iTunes and SoundCloud and Twitter that makes me look good. I'm very excited today to have a Harpoon Brewery on there up in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, they're a really cool brewery. Just to me personally, I, I had a really good experience with them that you'll learn a little bit more about later in, in the interview. Um, and, and also, and I, I mentioned this later in the interview as well, um, they, they were one of the very first breweries that I contacted when I first uh, got the idea for the podcast. So I'm very happy to, you know, after about a about a month and a half or so of doing this, I was, I was actually able to contact them and, you know, get a time uh, to, to meet and to kind of talk about Harpoon. I think you'll really enjoy it. They're great people. Uh, one, some, some of the best customer ser- service I've ever experienced. Um, but as always, you know, if, if you have, if you know of a brewery, or maybe if you are a brewery and you think that you have a story to share, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Is probably the best bet, Molar MD. Um, or if you'd like to email me, it is MolarMD at yahoo.com. All right, now let's go to the East Coast. I'm joined by Jamie Shear of Harpoon Brewery uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. They were founded back in 1986. Jamie, how are you doing today? Doing great, Mike. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've been, you've been brewing at Harpoon now for about 17 years or so. Um, how'd you get involved with Harpoon, exactly? <laughs> well, uh, it's kind of funny. 17 years ago when I uh, started up here, the uh, brewing community was a small place. It's a small place today, but it was even smaller then. Um, I used to work at a much smaller brewery in Bermuda, and one of the um, kind of main people here at Harpoon used to vacation there every couple of, year, uh, of years. And uh, brewers being brewers, you couldn't go anywhere without visiting the local brewery. And so for a few years in a row, every once in a while, unannounced, he would walk into the brewery and just, you know, start chatting and striking up a conversation and asking how things were going. And uh, so he would end up hanging out for the better part of an afternoon, much <laughs> to his life's chagrin, drinking beer and talking nerdy uh, beer stuff while on vacation. And uh, it's uh, kind of paradoxical, but in Bermuda, there's not much to do. So if you want to go on vacation, you have to get on a plane and go somewhere. And I had never been to Boston in my life and decided uh, one day that we would take a vacation up here and uh, came uh, came to Boston, called my friend who had uh, visited my brewery three or four times and said, hey, you owe me a couple of beers and a brewery tour. And uh, while I was here that day, um, enjoying the hospitality of the brewery, uh, I met the guy who eventually became my boss and we struck up a conversation and he said, you know, I'm looking for somebody who has uh, a skill set sort of like yours. And it just kind of uh, went downhill from there, and I've been here ever since. Oh, goodness. Well, I, I, I wanted to make sure I talked to Harpoon. Um, I think, actually, when, when I first got the idea to develop the podcast, I, I'm pretty sure Harpoon was the first brewery that I reached out to first. And at first glance, that's kind of weird, because I've, why wouldn't I go to some uh, to a regional place or so? Um, I, was, I was on vacation by myself in Boston in 2014, I think. 
Um, and I had never heard of Harpoon before, to be honest. And I found the brewery just kind of randomly. Um, I decided to walk there from where I was, went in. And at that time, I like I, I had been to a few different brewery tours before. And they were, you know, they, they were typical brewery tours, kind of boring. Um, but for some reason, the, the experience that I had on Ural's tour, I mean, the and, and I wish I remembered the, the tour guide's names. But they were so knowledgeable on, on all the questions that were asked. They all seemed very excited about it. Uh, the, the facility was great, the tap room and, you know, the pretzels and everything. That was that was so awesome. Um, but more importantly, you know, so, so I go back uh, back home to Kentucky. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to send an email to Harpoon and be like, hey, you, got, you guys are awesome. Y'all are doing it right. Good job. Send, like, a little note of appreciation. And um, that kind of blew up in my face a little bit. Uh, I, I ended up getting emails like, I think I probably got like 15 emails the next day from like random employees throughout Harpoon. Like, oh no, man, it's great. And we're so happy to see these, uh, see comments like these. This is fantastic. Um, so I wrote back to one of them. I was like, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually considering moving up to, to Rhode Island pretty, uh, pretty soon. And, you know, I'm just happy to be closer to Boston that way. And, um, you know, whoever I was speaking to, uh, she was um, saying basically something along the lines of, well, hey, what's your address? What's going to be your address up there? And then I went up there, I moved to Rhode Island, and I found a Harpoon care package right there on my, on my doorstep before I even got there. I thought it was fantastic. It, it was like Harpoon's customer service was so great. So that's why when I first developed the podcast idea, uh, Harpoon was like the one brewery that came into my mind. See, people think Yankee hospitality is a bad thing. It can be a good thing. Yeah, I, I it was fantastic. Yeah, like Southern hospitality, that's a thing. I've never I've never heard of Yankee hospitality until Harpoon came into the picture, and it was it was very nice. I was very appreciative of it. Um, unfortunately, things didn't really work up work out for me up there, um, so I moved back to Kentucky. But hey, I I would be glad to, to visit you all at any time. Um, uh, one good memory of New England, at least. Yeah, exactly. So. So uh, Harpoon was founded back in 1986, and I know you've only been working there for well, only you know 17 years now. Um, but still, what what do you happen to know about the founders? You know, Dan, Rich, George. Um, can you tell us a little bit about these guys and how they met? Sure. Uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty straightforward story. They were three young guys who had the opportunity independently to do a little bit of traveling in Western Europe uh, as they were wrapping up their college careers. And they realized that the, the depth and the complexity and the richness of beer culture in Western Europe uh, really overshadowed what we had going on here in the United States. Um, I don't know if you remember that that time, the you know early, mid-'80s, you could get any beer that you wanted in the United States as long as you wanted beer that was in the American light lager style. There was really not much else out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for these guys to travel over to Western Europe as uh, young men, they, you know, they were 20, 21, 22 years old at the time, they were positively blown away, not only by the variety of different styles of beer that were available, but the vibrancy of the regional brewing culture. You know, Every town and even a lot of the villages had their own brewery and people who lived in those areas would swear to you on a stack of Bibles that the, the beer from their hometown was the best beer in the world, and they were passionate about it. And that was something that really just didn't exist here in the United States at that time. So when they came back um, and were finishing up their uh, college careers and getting ready to start on their professional careers, they 
kind of got their heads together and talked about what do we want to do with our lives? You know, what has really motivated us and spoken to us at this point? And so they found uh, this kind of common interest in spreading and nurturing that sort of beer culture here in the United States. There are a couple of, and I really mean just like a couple, uh, pioneer breweries out on the West Coast that were starting to show signs of being able to be viable businesses at that time. And they said, you know what? We're going to do that in our hometown. And we're going to allow the people of Boston to feel like the beer from their hometown is the best beer in the world, just like the people in Prague and Munich and, you know, a thousand other small towns in Europe feel about the beer from their hometown. So in 1986, they hit up their friends, their family members, their grandparents and aunts and uncles and things like that and got just enough money scraped together to get the brewery started. Um, George uh, basically pursued his own separate professional career path. He, he never worked in the brewery, mm-hmm. but Rich and Dan, for huge portions of their adult lives, poured everything they had into making this little brewery go from something that nobody thought could work to, you know, most people thought probably wouldn't work to, you know, what it is today, which is a pretty good regional craft brewery success story that's that's kind of how it went in a nutshell yeah absolutely and and you mentioned a little bit before i mean there was this pride thing i mean they they wanted to say you know we were the first let's let's do something special in boston um and and truth be told they were the first brewery to commercially brew and bottle in boston in what like over 25 years or some or something at that time yeah, uh, in 1986, when they founded the company, they applied for a brewery license uh, with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the city of Boston, and uh, the, the local powers that be were kind of befuddled because nobody who worked in uh, any branch of government, either at the state or city level, had any experience with filling out the paperwork for establishing a brewery because it hadn't been done since wow. the 1920s. Um, so it was new to everybody, and as a result, as a result, it was kind of hard. I mean, they, they had to really follow a uh, tortuous path, but at the end, when they came out of it, they were issued Massachusetts Brewing License, license Number 1. So uh, we were the first brewery established in Massachusetts after uh, the initiation of Prohibition, and because nobody could remember how it used to get done, they just made up a whole new way of doing it, and we were number one. <laughs> That's, that's great. Can you tell us a little bit about the the actual physical location of that Boston brewery? I mean, um, it, it, it's it's on a what used to be a Navy you know dry dock or whatever, just right there on the pier. Uh, so it is kind of a unique location in that regard. But can you just kind of give us a an, of an idea of what it might look like? Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, the building that we're located in was built in the uh, early 1930s by the War Department, as it was called then. Uh, and it was utilized by the United States Navy throughout World War II to build destroyers for the war effort. Uh, and before uh, the United States got involved in the war, we were building uh, destroyers and basically giving them to the British Navy on the Lend-Lease program. And then after Pearl Harbor and we, when we got involved, uh, they were feverishly built, building these ships as fast as they could. And inside the building where the brewery is located today, every week, two destroyers would get built and then pushed out into the Boston Harbor. Um, the building that we're in, it couldn't be more urban or downtown. We are right on the water of Boston Harbor and right in the middle of kind of this urban renaissance that's going on in Boston. 
uh, in 86 when we started. This was sort of a bad neighborhood. Hmm. Uh, you got you got to see uh, nothing but truck drivers and uh, fish cutters and scruffy-looking brewers walking up and down Northern <laughs> Avenue. But in the last uh, 10 years, it really has blossomed. And it's one of the most uh, popular and desirable areas of the city uh, to set up in. So we used to be sur- surrounded by dilapidated warehouses and things like that. Now we're surrounded by really nice hotels, excellent restaurants, uh, condos, apartments, and stuff like that. So... You know, the brewers always were the ugliest guys on the street. It's just even worse now because there's a lot of really beautiful people surrounding the Harpoon Brewery. Yeah, it, it, it's it's neat. Uh, I had a walk there, and you know, it wasn't that bad of a walk at all. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the Vermont location? Because you're also located in, in Vermont. Uh, at what yep. time and year, I guess, was that decision made to put one up there? Well, um, the brewery in Vermont is located in Windsor, Vermont, which is on the uh, border of Vermont and New Hampshire, about halfway up uh, on, on the north-south um, line between those two states. It's about 10 miles south of the slightly larger town of White River Junction. It was originally established in the late 90s as the home of the Catamount Breen Company, which was one of the, the first iconic Vermont craft brewers. Um, those guys uh, had a pretty ambitious vision for building a new brewery right on the um, banks of the Connecticut River there. Things didn't go great for them. They uh, were open for about four or five years before they were forced to shut down. Um, They closed and shuttered the brewery, and it sat idle for about two years until the town of Windsor approached uh, Dan and Rich and asked them if they would be willing to uh, restart the brewery business there in Windsor. Um, At that time, we were really constrained for capacity, and being able to uh, purchase a 50-barrel brewery that was uh, more or less ready to begin production was hugely important to us. This happened in 2001, Um, Hmm. and so we opened, uh, we we entered into a partnership with the town of Windsor and the state of Vermont. They were very happy to welcome us in. We reopened the brewery. It's become a really important part of who we are culturally. Uh, you know, we really do consider ourselves a Boston and Vermont brewery. Uh, they make about fifty-five to 60,000 barrels of the 210 barrels of beer a year that we make. Um, and honestly, the locations, the two spots couldn't be much more different. As I mentioned, the Boston brewery is uh, totally urban, totally downtown. Uh, the brewery up in Windsor is uh, located in a more or less open field next to the Connecticut River. It's a beautiful green space, you know, a lot of open space, a lot of trees, very calm. You know, outside the brewery, we have a big fire ring that's a huge attraction. You can go to the brewery and get a pint of beer and go out and sit in the Adirondack chairs around the fire ring and listen to music. And it's just, it's really cool, totally different, but still totally harpoon. Yeah, so I keep keep in mind, and, and some people already know this. I like I know nothing about nothing. I don't know much about um, the beverage industry as a whole. It seems that like when people have a let, let's say say for example, you know, New Belgium, they just opened up a new brewery out in in Asheville, I believe, in, in North Carolina. It just seemed to me that Vermont was so close to Boston. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, you had those two breweries and that you were so well-established already that you would just go a few states over and just open up a second one. Um, was there an idea of just 
you just wanted that one up there, or did you also want to have uh, um, other breweries in other states down the line? We um, we have a real intense focus on our backyard of New England. We consider ourselves first and foremost to be a Boston brewer, um, and then after that, uh, we consider New England to kind of be our neighborhood in a way. Sure. So we always have had a serious focus on building our brand to be as strong as possible, uh, as close to the brewery as possible. So that was a big part of the motivation. Um, you know, we've never been distributed nationally. We have no plans right now, as far as I know, to be distributed nationally. Our focus has always been, you know, the freshest, best quality beer that we can serve to people as close to the brewery as possible. Um, so, you know, we, we really look at, rather than having distribution uh, that's, to use the old uh, adage, a mile wide and an inch deep, mm-hmm. we're really looking to have very deep market penetration in our home market. Um, in addition to that, you know, the, the folks in the town of Windsor have turned out to be such great neighbors to us and uh, partners to us in doing this that uh, reopening that brewery has been super beneficial to everybody on both sides of the equation. It's just been a fantastic partnership. Uh, and so it, it may look funny funny to have two breweries separated by 120 miles when a lot of our, our peer brewers right now are opening breweries separated by time zones. But, exactly. Uh, we've, never, you know, we've never really looked at it that way. We, we want to be a regional brewer, but with a really, really strong focus on local brewing, local beer, local community so that's kind of where that all came from all right and that makes sense now now this you know you, you may not be able to answer this and, and that's fine but you know you, you consider yourself the, the the boston brewery um or at least harpoon is the boston brewery is there any kind of like competition between beer nerds between sam adams and the boston beer company and harpoon oh sure wouldn't it and, you know it'd be pretty boring if there wasn't a little bit of competition yeah that's um, what i'm thinking there's definitely uh, there's definitely a lot of collegiality. Um, we help one another quite often, but we also definitely are you know a little competitive. It's uh, you know if you've got a sibling, you want to you know run faster, throw the ball farther, kind of thing. Uh, we sort of have that going on. Um, yeah. Having, ha- having said that, I'm sure I know how we feel within our organization. I, I'm can't imagine it could possibly be any different uh, within Boston Beer, but you know we consider ourselves to be the finest brewers in Boston. Um, they they probably do as well, and it's a it's a fun, healthy competition. But honestly, you know it's uh, especially because you all were founded just around the same time. Yeah, we took very different paths of development. So culturally, we're very very different organizations. Um, can can, and, can, and you, can you can you elaborate how though? Um, I can't really speak to what the culture in uh, Boston uh, beer is like because I've never been sure, inside. Sure, that's fair. I, ha- I have friends and colleagues who I admire and respect who are big contributors over there who really love it. Uh, the I think that just the scope of the operation there uh, enforces that they're going to have a slightly different culture than us. No less focused on making great beer, 
but perhaps you know just with a different emphasis sometimes. That, that's more than fair. Um, so back in the the late fall, kind of winter, I was working for a wholesaler, and um, I was stocking some shelves in some Kroger, Meyer, some kind of grocery store, and uh, I picked up a six pack, I put it on the shelf, and then I realized, oh wait, this is Harpoon. It looks completely different than what it was like last week. And I realized that you all had kind of a label change that happened back in December of 2015. And, you know, what what really inspired that kind of change? And, and how hard is it for, for a brand, for a company to rebrand like that after so many years of being, you know, practically the same? I can't, um, I can't, re- I can't speak too uh, clearly about uh, what the motivation was. Uh, my, my role here is in the QA, QC lab. Sure. Uh, and uh, a lot of that work, the vast majority of it was done by the awesome folks on our, um, marketing team. But I do know that it was a huge effort. I mean, uh, it really consumed a huge part of the attention of our company for a while, uh, for some people, because we wanted to make sure that we were explaining to people, to the, to the folks who have loved us for 30 years now, and also to folks who are just meeting us for the first time, who we are, what we're trying to accomplish with our beers, um, and where we're headed uh, in this industry, which is really turbulent right now and uh, presenting lots of challenges to brewers who have been around for as long as we have. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a very challenging thing because the people who love our beer have been enjoying it for quite a long time. We have to remain loyal to those guys, so we don't want to, you know, we wanted to make sure that we uh, sent out the signal that we were not changing who we are or what we are about, but we were trying to find a clearer, more concise way to tell people who are meeting us for the first time what those things are, who we are, what we're about, what they should expect from the liquid that's going to be inside the bottle or the can or the keg that they're about to enjoy. Um, because quite frankly, right now, there is, you know, the, the craft beer segment of the brewing industry is really noisy. Mm-hmm. And you have you have a very limited amount of time to make your first impression on someone. So I can tell you it was a big challenge to create that kind of new branding and new look for the Harpoon Brewery. We had a lot of great help from outside the organization. We have a lot of incredibly talented and devoted people inside our organization, and they worked really hard to make sure that, you know, the the folks who've been drinking our IPA for 20-some-odd years would understand that a new label isn't a new liquid, but then the people who were seeing it for the first time would say, would would be able to understand what they were going to get out of it as well. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't that big of a change, but at the same time, it was something noticeable, and then I think that's you know that's what's important. I can tell you, it wasn't undertaken uh, lightly. There was a lot of soul searching that went into it. Um, you know, just to reiterate, I am a humble lab guy. I deal with uh, scientific things all the time, but watching the uh, the team that was in charge of that project go through it, I know that they agonized over it and they worked really hard make sure that we got it right uh, and I, I really admire the effort that they put into it and the result I think is a terrific success we should be expanding that effort uh, beyond Harpoon IPA 
to basically all of the brands that we make uh, over the course of the next few months. So oh, see a lot, lot of that type of change. Excellent. Um, speaking of you know, you kind of mentioned how about you know how the the industry is kind of changing and how there's a boom and everything. Are there any issues right now in, within the industry that, that Harpoon is currently trying to overcome? Um, yeah, there are. Uh, you know, on the legislative level, uh, there are some antiquated laws that essentially tie small brewers to distributors after contract signed. Um, you know, think of it as a marriage where you can't ask for a divorce, or if you ask for a divorce, uh, the the price of getting out can be um, prohibitive. So as far as uh, the relationship with a distributor, um, you have to be very, very careful about who you choose to go into business with. Uh, I think that we have been trying to work to um, uh, open those laws up a little bit so that um, you know if you, if you do get into a relationship that isn't working out, you, you have an, a viable option where the distributor who has helped you build your brand gets good value for it when you leave, but you're able to leave without bankrupting your business, uh, as opposed to being stuck, you know, in a worst case scenario with a distributor who is essentially the face of your brand in a market, for instance, like Kentucky for Harpoon. Yeah. Um, if you're in a relationship with somebody who, you know, isn't a good contributor to it, you should be able to take your your business somewhere else. Uh, so that's one thing we're working towards. That's kind of one of those things that I think a lot of people who are uh, fans of beer might not encounter very much, but it's a huge um, issue for a lot of smaller brewers. Uh, but, you know, above and beyond that, for us personally, uh, or as an organization, it's a real challenge for us to maintain um Maintain delivering an accurate message to people who are considering drinking our beer about what we're all about, what they're going to get from it, uh, being noticed by those people. Uh, so it's it's definitely tough. You know, we have uh, over 4,200 breweries in the United States these days. Uh, when Harpoon was established, I think there was probably about 150 breweries. So, um, you know, getting out in that market and being... Uh, being relevant is definitely something that we work at every single day. So I, I would say those are our two big issues. And then, you know, probably secondary to those two, but also still a considerable issue is maintaining quality of beer in general in the marketplace with, with so many new breweries opening. They keep, they're not all making great beer, uh, which you would think would be great for us because, you know, uh, we don't want our competitors to make great beer. But the problem is that most people still drink American light lager. And if their first opportunity to taste craft beer ever is something that's disappointing or old or stale or you know, sour, um, not intentionally sour. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if that's somebody's first experience, they're not going to say, oh, well, I don't like you know, brewery XYZ from wherever. They're going to say, well, I, just, I guess this craft beer thing's really not for me. I've heard so much about it. Uh, but I didn't like that at all, so I'm going to go back and have a Budweiser or something like that. So for us, a big deal is talking to our peers within the industry and making sure that you know we the people aren't making bad beer or that you know the ones who are making bad beer change their ways. I guess. Sure. Let, let's say you woke up one day 
and you know some some genie came by waved some magic and you know did something like that and you all of a sudden became president of harpoon for a day what might you expect to learn from that ah well i know the guy who is the president of harpoon um and i think that what i would learn from it would would be uh critical value of time management because there are a lot of people who rely on him to make good decisions um, and so his uh, his time is constantly in demand and at a premium um, I think that uh, I would have reinforced for me something that I already really know and that is that um, the, the stakeholders in Harpoon the majority of them actually don't even work for Harpoon. There's so many people who love our beer, who kind of know who we are, who have their own uh, relationship with the brewery uh, by dint of having visited here or having gone to school here and you know had Harpoon be a part of their um, kind of formative years as college students and things like that. It's uh, it's amazing the amount of feedback we get from the general public who are just like, you know, I've, I've been enjoying your beer for 12 years or seven years or, you know, however long now, and I, I met my husband at one of your events. So I think that uh, Charlie Story, who's our current president, is um, continually humbled by the role that we play in the lives of people that we don't see all that often. So, uh it's it's 2016 now. Uh, you're coming up on your on your 30th year, your 30th anniversary. Are there any future plans that you'd like to share with with us about Harpoon? Any, any kind of special events going on to, to help celebrate that? Oh yeah. So uh, coincidentally, it's it's kind of funny. Today, as we do this recording, we are uh, almost to the day 30 years old. Uh, we were established in June of 1986. Uh, we're, we're gearing up for a big celebration. Um, today at the brewery in Boston and yesterday at the brewery up in Windsor, we uh, bottled um, celebratory batches of our first original recipe, Harpoon Ale, hmm. that was packaged in late 1986 and was the only beer that we made all the way through 1987 and most of 1988. Uh, it's being packaged on draft and in uh 12-ounce bottles with uh, kind of um, retrospective packaging on it. They're gorgeous, and the beer is fantastic. So at least all of us harpooners are really excited about it. Um, ale, was, uh, ale was the first beer that we made, as I mentioned, and it, it is uh, a staff favorite. Uh, the way that the public's taste has gone lately, uh, it's a style that... Um, you know, has sort of been overshadowed by the IPAs and double IPAs and session IPAs and imperial everythings lately. Uh, but it's a beautiful kind of a Burton pale ale uh, that in 1986 when we first made it was uh, revolutionary here in Boston and in a lot of places, uh, but has always been a staff favorite despite the fact that sales of it tailed off to the point where in the um, early 2000s, we stopped packaging it for sale outside the brewery, but we resurrected the uh, recipe a few weeks ago to make a couple of batches and bottle them. Um, there's going to be 30th anniversary parties in July at both breweries, 
where we're going to serve that beer, and there's going to be limited amounts of draft and stuff like that available. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Dan and Charlie and some of the other leaders of the brewery have some tricks up their sleeves for uh, celebrations here, there, and out and about this summer. That's exciting, man. Congratulations. Um, yeah. When when can folks visit the Boston uh, brewery and, 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 you know, visit and take tours and maybe go and, and have a, a beer pretzel in the, in the tap room? The brewery is open seven days a week uh, on from Sunday through uh, Wednesday in the summertime. We are open from 11 a.m. till 7 p.m. And then on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we are open until 11 p.m. Uh, we do tours every hour on the hour. And I think on Friday and Saturday, they actually do them on the half hour as well. Oh, neat. I, yeah, one thing I remember about my, my tour is it was one of the better uh, tasting experiences, too. I, I believe... At least back then, I don't know if it's if it's the same way or not. Basically, they said, you know, you have ten minutes, drink whatever you want. Yeah, we have a uh, tasting room with a dozen taps. We try to select uh, beers on it that are a little bit more esoteric, uh, things that people may not have had the opportunity to try if it's their first time visiting Harpoon. So that you have a chance to kind of get out of your comfort zone a little bit at a fairly low risk. You know, you can. Um, taste something uh, you know for instance right now we have a grapefruit chandy on that's delicious mm. maybe you would maybe you would never order a grapefruit chandy uh, but if you're just standing there and you can have a four ounce sample or a two ounce sample of it for, uh, for you know basically for, for the time it takes you to drink it um, you might try something and discover something that you really dig so, uh, we try and we try and reward people for coming to the brewery by offering them things to taste that you can't get in other places. So. Yeah, well, I, I was very impressed. Jamie, thank you so much for your time. I'm really glad I got to speak with Harpoon and, and got, to, got to know you a little bit more as well. Mike, it's, it's uh, been great talking to you as well. I'm glad that our paths crossed again. And uh, good luck with your career as a podcasting tycoon. Oh, thank you very much. Jamie, have a good weekend. Thanks, you too. I have to celebrate you, baby I have to praise you like I should